Hello and welcome. You're listening to Healing with Serenity. My name is Serenity Ford and I am your host. In this podcast, we talk about all things natural healing, mind, body, and soul. So if you're interested in learning how to heal various situations or have a physiological pregnancy, birth, postpartum, or just general wellness, we talk about it all. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button and thank you so much for listening. Let's go ahead and get started. Hey there and welcome back to my podcast. As I am nearing the end of this pregnancy, you know, pregnancy as a birth worker definitely reignites or fuels or further confirms why you're in birth work. And if you are a birth worker, then I'm sure that you can definitely agree with that sentiment. Um, Also, if you're a birth worker and you're listening to this, I'm sure this is nothing you haven't already figured out or you've learned or whatever. So this episode is for those of you, well, ideally it's for the women who have not had, had, have been pregnant yet. Um, Or maybe the women who have had really traumatic pregnancies and births or just women who you've had a million kids and you're always looking to learn more. But um, this, I made this list with me in mind before I had children, before I started having children. When I was um, 18, I got pregnant for the first time, gave birth at 19. And this is for just those people who don't know. And I wish I had known these things. Um, not that I really regret anything that I experienced in my pregnancy, my my first two pregnancies, but it's, we'll talk about it, but a little, a little history. Um, I'm on my fifth pregnancy, my fifth full-term pregnancy. Um, I have had some miscarriages and things in between. And while yes, I do consider those pregnancies, especially for other people who consider those pregnancies for themselves, for me, Um, so I don't have to explain why I don't have eight children. Um, this just makes sense. This is my fifth child. Okay. The fifth that I will have birthed from my body. So my first pregnancy, um, again, I was 18, turned 19 right after I had her, I believe I was 18, 19. That was the age range. Um, and I was like 40 weeks and one day. And I remember going into my OB appointment. I was living in California and my OB was a man. (laughs) And now I laugh because I would never, but um, my OB was actually great. Like looking back, he was actually good. And here's why Um, I told, I begged him, please induce me, please, 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 please. And he was like, well, we'll see how you are your next appointment and we'll talk about it. But he wasn't really gung ho to induce me. Um, I went back at my next appointment and I was like 40 weeks to the day and I begged him again, please, please, please induce me. And mainly like, I felt great looking back. I don't remember having many pains. Like I'm sure I was tired and uncomfortable, but I was just excited. I really wanted to have my baby. I wanted to be a mom. I was just excited. And I begged him, begged him. And he was like, 
you really shouldn't, you know, she'll be here any day, da, da, da. Um, first time moms notoriously go late in their pregnancies um, and late with air quotes, by the way, you know, because due dates are just guest dates and we'll talk about that. But he really was not about inducing me. But after I pushed and pushed, he was like, okay, we'll drive to the hospital, which was about, I think, an hour and a half, two hours away. Um, and we'll, we'll get it started today. And so I was just so excited. And we go, we um, get there. They start hooking me up to the IV. They start the drug to induce, all that, right? And I'm just excited. Well, I didn't know this at the time, but, you know, once they start administering these drugs and things and you need more drugs to alleviate the pain because induced labor is a lot more intense than natural labor. It's very, very intense. Your body wasn't ready for it. Your baby wasn't ready for it. It's just, it goes against everything natural with your body. And so at a point it came to where they were talking a C-section because baby was kind of um, in distress and heart tones weren't sounding right and she wasn't doing what she was supposed to be doing. Da, da, da. Well, it wasn't long after that, baby decided she's coming. She was born. Um, everything was good. She weighed seven pounds, five ounces, average healthy baby. Um, so that was that. Okay. And I, again, I don't regret my pregnancy or my birth, but if I had known the things that I'm about to list, um, here in this podcast, I wouldn't have gone that route, you know, but you know, you don't know what you don't know. And hindsight is 2020 and da, da, da. so second birth was in 2015. So three years after my first and I, you know, went the whole, the normal mainstream route, had no B, um, everything was fine. 20 weeks, I go in for an ultrasound. They tell me that my child had a cleft lip and palate. That freaked me out. I literally was so ignorant and I just had no idea what that was. Like I thought only like third world countries had it. It was a whole thing. Um, I was glad that I found out then instead of being surprised by it in birth. Because, you know, where I was mental, mentally, I probably would have, like, really freaked out, you know. Um, now who I am today, if I, you know, obviously, I'm not having all these appointments and things. So, it probably would be a surprise to me if I had a child and they were born with some issue like that. Um, but I wouldn't react in the same way that I think I would have eight years ago. Um, that said when I started going into labor and this, I'm really proud of myself. Like I was still very mainstream, still very standard American diet, still just everything the way it's supposed to be. Quote unquote, like you just do what you're supposed to do. Right. I still chose to labor as long as I possibly could at home. I used the bathtub. I, um, I just, I labored on my own, my kid and the, the child's father that I was in labor with were sleeping. Um, I did that on my own and I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of myself for feeling that intuitively to not like run in and immediately go to the hospital because that would have made for a lot more difficult time because the moment that you step foot in the hospital or even birthing centers, a lot of times they're putting a clock on you and they're like, well, if you haven't gotten to this point by this time, then, you know, that must mean that something's wrong and we're going to need to C-section you and yada, yada, right? So anyway, I did that, 
we go to the hospital and I'm trying to think time-wise. I want to say that from the time we got to the hospital to when the baby was born, which again, I got the epidural, I had all the pain meds, all of that good stuff. Um, it was probably like, man, I'm really blurry on the time frame, but I want to say like five, six hours that I was, that I was labor from laboring in the hospital to giving birth to him. He was a big baby. He was almost 10 pounds, but I gave birth to him vaginally. And notice I'm not going to say naturally because just giving birth vaginally does not equate to naturally, right? Um, naturally means you let labor happen um, naturally. You do not use any like pharmaceutical drugs to curb the pain, no surgery, um, and then you birthed your baby naturally. And you could take it even step further and we'll talk about that later. But I'm trying to just tell you the history of where I've been with my births. And then um, I'll give a little disclaimer and then we'll get into these 12 things I wish I had known before having my first child. So that was my second birth. Pretty uneventful, pretty great. Um, the OB that I had for that one, she was good. I mean, she's known for, she's very knowledgeable. Um, I liked her bedside manner, I guess. This was a coached pushing situation. Um, that's a whole other thing. But most births in hospitals and even with midwives at home or birthing centers are coached pushing. Then that leads us to my third birth in 2019. So four years later. And I, once again, I had Medicaid and I went the OB route up till about 34 weeks. So I'm 34 weeks today. And this is when I started, like I always say that my baby Ellie, which she's four years old today too, I always say that she is the reason why I'm a doula, why I'm in birth work, why I'm in holistic medicine at all. Like she really lit that fire within me during my pregnancy. I did a lot of studying. I did a lot of learning. My mind was awakened and open to so many things during that pregnancy that I knew from the beginning I wanted to have a home birth, but I went the OB route just to be safe because I was still um, very much programmed and fearful of doing it any other way than what I had been told or indoctrined was the correct way, right? We all are, we all are mostly raised that you go to the hospital for birth, your doctor will help you. You really don't have to do or think anything. You just let, you just hand it all over to your doctor and you'll be fine, right? So I just had the OB as a backup and I was planning, I was looking for a midwife to assist me at my home, which was a fifth wheel at the time. And I remember one of my first appointments when I started going to the OB, which was through like a Texas Tech University hospital setting. And I started at the one in like Odessa, I think, Odessa, Texas. And then I ended up transferring to the one in Amarillo when we moved to Amarillo, which is where my daughter was born in 2019. But I remember telling the first OB in Odessa that I plan on having a home birth. And she looked at me like, <laughs> she looked at me like I had grown a second head. And she was just like, oh, well, if that's your plan, then I'm not going to be able to um, provide care for you anymore. So you need to decide what you're going to do. And I just remember being like shook by that, like what? And then the fear of, well, how can I be pregnant 
and not get medical care? Like, how will I, how can I go through this and not know what's going on with my body and my baby? You know, like that really freaked me out. So I guess I should really retitle this podcast to the 12 things I wish I had known before having my third child. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Because it was finally, it was a slow progression, my third child, that I started figuring these things out for myself. Um, so after that appointment, I went home and I'm just like, okay, so basically I just need to act like when I talk to this OB that I'm just going to have a hospital birth and never, ever mention home birth again. And then when I do have a home birth, be like, whoops, or whatever, you know, whatever that meant. So went about, you know, that pregnancy, moved to Amarillo, transferred care, same, same like network of like hospital, I guess you could say, different OB. Well, one of the appointments I go in, it's a completely different doctor and it's a dude. And well, okay. Before he comes in, a nurse says, I'm going to need you to disrobe from the waist down and um, we're going to do a cervical exam. And I was like, why do we need to do a cervical exam? They're like, we just need to check for dilation. I'm like, no, I decline that. And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I'm saying, I don't want you to check my cervix. I was 34 weeks. Okay. Um, And at this point I had been studying and I was on this like high and a high horse of like, no, no, no. I know what's best. I know what's right. I know what's wrong, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not going to let you check my cervix, especially at 34 weeks. Like there's no need for it. And we're going to talk about that. But she looked at me like I was crazy. And then she goes, she leaves. She comes back a few minutes later. She's like, um, are you sure we really need to check your cervix this appointment? Da, da, da. The doctor wants me to tell you that this has to be done. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. I declined that test. Um, let's move on. So again, she's like getting kind of irritated. She leaves. I don't know, five minutes go by and the doctor comes in. He's already irritated. You could tell he's already like, he don't want to deal with this. <laughs> so... He says, so, you know, basically like the nurse tells me that you don't want to have your cervix checked. We really need to check it. And I'm like, well, what's, what's your reasoning for wanting to check my cervix, especially at this gestation? And he's like, we just need to make sure that you're progressing. And I'm like, I look down at my stomach. I'm like, well, I mean, I'm pretty clear. It's pretty clear that I'm progressing, you know? Um, And I still was going to let him do fetal heart monitoring with the, with the Doppler. Like you could hear the heart beating. You could see that my stomach is growing. Like a cervix is not going to tell you anything other than that it's dilating. And I even, I told him this, I told him the risks of infection. I told him how, you know, dilation is no indicator of when labor might begin, all this stuff. And he got like belligerent. He was pissed. He was like, well, if you want to kill your baby and yourself, that's your choice. Like saying some crazy off the wall shit like that. I ended up after I left that appointment, I made like a live video on Facebook talking about it sharing this story, enlightening you women that were on there, you know, all those years ago. And I never went back. I never went back to the doctor at that point. Um, I was just like, well, I guess I'm just doing this on my own. I don't really know, you know, what else to do. But I knew at that point, like, I didn't have all the answers. And I didn't know exactly what to do. But I knew I was never going to be dealing with that again. Like, I was never going to have somebody tell me that I had to let them put their hand inside my body to do what, right? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if it's a medical situation or not. That is borderline assault. And it's wrong. Like informed choice, informed decision is the only choice. It's the only decision. So I was just like, oh, wow, I'm doing this, you know? And I was like, I'm just going to have an unassisted birth. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to have nobody at my birth. And I remember about two weeks before 
So I was probably like 37 weeks along. So this is like three weeks later after that appointment. I started, and I was feeling really confident, but I started having such bad anxiety. I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. And I'm talking like I would just have these spells where I would just start crying and hyperventilating and freaking out. And so about, I think I was 36 weeks in some day, some days where I found a midwife locally in Amarillo. And it's funny because she was just arrested um, yesterday or the day before. Um, and today marks four years since she attended my birth. So it's a whole thing. It's a whole circle. Um, and you can read my birth story on my Facebook. You can search her name um, or my birth story or whatever. And you can find her her on there. But I'm not going to say her name on my podcast because she don't deserve a fucking place in my space like that. You know, post about her in writing, but I'm not going to speak it. So anyway, she attended that birth, which taking her out of the equation was really a great experience. Um, oh, let me back up. So I found a midwife literally three days before I went into labor. Like I was so anxious. I had to find a midwife. My husband was on board. He just wanted whatever I wanted. And that's, that's the sign of a great husband, you guys, or a great partner, ladies, is that they trust you and respect you enough to do whatever it is you want to do, right? I've seen a lot of women be like, well, I'd love to have a home birth, but I can't because my husband won't let me. Oh, I wish a husband would tell me I couldn't have, I couldn't birth wherever I want. If I want to birth in a box on the side of the highway, that's what I'm going to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wish you would tell me where I can't drop this baby. Um, that's the whole thing. But when a man or your partner can just, you know, yeah, I'm going to, I go with it. It's not because they're naive or stupid. It's because they're the opposite. They know that you know what's best right? And so he didn't try to talk me out of it or nothing. He was just like, and, and mind you, he's not anti-home birth. If anything, he's the one who inspired me to have a home birth. But um, it's not like he tried to talk to me, say like, oh, I don't like her or anything like that. Like, we both liked her when we met her. So he pays for it. We're a done deal. Three days later, labor starts. She attends my birth. And aside from her and the things that she did, like injecting me with Pitocin against, without my consent after giving birth, um, you know, it was a great experience. Like I fucking did that. And my husband caught our baby. Like he was the very first person to touch our baby. Um, and it was so empowering and so enlightening and just thrilling. Like I wanted to do it again. So that was baby number three, baby number four. This is when I'm just real radical, right? I never saw an OB at all. The most care I ever received was going to a chiropractor and I would order my own blood panels draw my blood, send them in for testing, and analyze my results. That was it. I never saw an OB once. Went to nearly 42 weeks in pregnancy. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking this pregnancy was going to end a lot sooner. Because if you think about it, my first, I was 40 and one. My second, I was 38 weeks when I went into labor. My third, I was 39 weeks when I went into labor. So I'm like, cool, I'll probably go into labor around 38, 39 weeks with this one. Oh, no, no, no. He was almost 42 weeks and labor started. um, I rocked it from about 10 p.m. Well, you know, light labor had started the whole day before, but it was just real light. But when it got into like a more active stage was about 10 p.m. that night, 1030. I called my doula. She came from Amarillo, which is an hour away from where I'm living. And from that point 
till about 11 the next day I did it. Okay. And my, I was bleeding the entire labor, which was odd for me, which I have come to learn now that it's normal for some women in some pregnancies. And that's a huge thing. Like that should probably be like the 13th thing I wish I had known before having my first child is that not only is every pregnancy different from like woman to woman, but every pregnancy within the same woman is going to be different. Every birth, same thing. It's going to be different. So don't expect like, oh, I've gone, you know, I've had my babies at 39 weeks every time. I'm going to have them 39 weeks this time. No. And don't expect that just because you never bleed in labor, you won't ever bleed in another labor. It's not always cause for concern. For me at that time, I was like, huh. Like in the beginning, I was like, okay, this is a little bit of blood, whatever. It wasn't until I started having constant pain in the front of my belly that I started to become concerned. And mainly because I had what is called an anterior placenta which means, and it's not wrong, it's not bad, it's a variation of normal, which in birth, you're going to hear that term a lot, variation of normal. Um, in pregnancy, it's just a normal term, variation of normal, right? Um, normally, your placenta will attach posterior, which behind, uh, behind the baby, on the backside of your uterus. But there are many times, it's pretty common when your placenta attaches anterior, which is the front. Um, when you have an anterior placenta, sometimes you can, you don't feel baby's movements as soon as you might with a posterior um, or as strong, things like that. So I knew I had an anterior placenta because I, I did get an ultrasound. I think I got like two ultrasounds that pregnancy. And so I knew I had an anterior placenta. So that is what really caused me to have alarm bells is because I'm having this constant pain paired with the bleeding that was picking up in volume, right? Even looking back now, though, I'm kind of thinking the volume of blood wasn't really a concern. I just was not used to bleeding in labor, okay? And I only had my doula, which love her. She is such a great um, feminine energy and presence for me, but she's not responsible for my decision making. She can't tell me what I should or shouldn't do. So it was up to me to decide and go within and be like, is this something I need to seek medical care for? Okay. So it got to a point where the bleeding was just picking up and the pain was constant. Where no no amount of counter pressure, no water, no position could make me feel better. And I was also exhausted. The whole night before I had started labor. I started having a lot of contractions for hours and I thought I was like in labor. I was probably in early labor at that point, but here's the thing. Here's a little tip for you too. When you think you're in labor, go to bed, go down, go lay down, go to sleep. If you can't sleep through the contractions, okay, you probably will be in labor and do what you got to do. But the best thing you could do for yourself when labor begins is to rest and try to sleep because you need that energy to get you through the event. It's a marathon. Okay. You have no idea how long your labor is going to last. You have no idea how intense it's going to be. I don't care if you've done it eight times before each labor is going to be different. So my mistake was being so excited. I mean, like, this is it da, 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 and not sleeping all night long because I was so excited. Okay. So then you, you go into the next day, contractions are still happening, but they're not super, super, super strong. And then they really pick up that night at 10 o'clock. Now I've gone, you know, 24 hours plus without sleeping, you know, it had been a long time without sleeping. So my energy was low. 
Therefore, my mental was not where it should have been. All of these factors played a role. So at that point, it was like 11 o'clock. I'm like, I need to go to the hospital. And I won't lie. I felt like I had failed. I felt like I was defeated because I'm just like, this is not what I wanted. I wanted a free birth at my house. That's it. But we went to the hospital. Within an hour, my baby was born. Not long after the placenta came out, the placenta was like in pieces. So I think there had probably been a partial tear. Would I have been able to birth him fine at home? Probably. Looking back now, probably. And I think what led me to be able to birth him an hour after I got to the hospital was because, not only because I was already at that point, like I think I had been in transition for a couple of hours and that's when the intensity picked up. That's when I was like, I need to go to the hospital. Many times in home birth, when you're thinking those types of thoughts, that is when baby is coming. But it's scary, right? Because are those thoughts your intuition? Is that spirit or God or universe telling you that you need help? Or is that you just wanting to give up because you're at the very fucking end? It is literally at that moment, nine out of 10 times when women feel that way, defeated, like they can't do it, that they're going to have their baby in their arms in minutes. So I think that was part of it that I was already close to the end. But also I feel like part of it too was leaving the environment that I was in. Like my kids were there my two girls and just feeling responsible for their emotions and how they were perceiving me was kind of a heavy load. And I didn't, I didn't understand that at the time. Now, after analyzing it all, I know what I want to do different this time around. So that was my fourth birth. Okay. Now we're here in my fifth pregnancy and I've done a video back in February of 2020 in my uh, Facebook group, Healing with Serenity called Pregnancy Myths. So you can go in that group, you can go to the little magnifying glass, search pregnancy myths, you're going to see a video of me, I have like long hair and it's super weird, like I'm almost unrecognizable. And I talk about a lot of different pregnancy myths in that. So some of these will probably match up with those. I haven't watched that video in a long time and I couldn't even find my notes for it. But you know, I'm here, I'm going through some prodrama labor. um, And we're going to talk a little bit about what that is. And I'm just I'm wanting to make this list for you guys who are trying to conceive, who are just barely pregnant, maybe you're pregnant with your first, maybe your second, maybe your third, you know, and these are some things that I want to enlighten you about, okay? And just a little disclaimer. This is a disclaimer for you all. I hate that I feel like I have to say this, but in this day and age, this culture that we live in now, we are all just kind of walking on eggshells, making sure we don't hurt anyone's feelings, being politically correct. Um, I just have to say it, right? So if this does not pertain to you, move on, okay? If you want everything medicalized and you want all the drugs and you want to do it the mainstream way and you want to go about it the way that you know how, do you, boo? This is this podcast is not for you. So I don't need the backlash and the hate and the like, you're giving unsafe advice. That's another thing. I'm not a medical provider. I cannot give you medical advice. So the, none of the, what I'm saying is is um, to take the place of a medical expert. All right, whatever the fuck that is. So always, always, always do what you feel is best for you. Do what you feel is best for your family. The informed choice is the best choice. And my job as a doula and a birth worker is to lay out the facts for you lay out the research, you get to go through it, 
do your own homework, and then make your decision. And if you've decided after everything I've told you that going and doing the opposite of what I've told you is the best for you, then go, Glenn Coco, go. <laughs> All I have to say on that. Um, because that that's your life. I can't tell you what to do in anything, let alone your birthing choices. That's That goes against everything that I'm trying to preach, right? Um, but if I tell you, this is what happens when you do this and you go and do the thing and the thing happens, I don't want to hear about it. Okay. That's just who I am. And anybody who has gotten services from me, who has received any type of um, care from me, they know that's the type of person I am. And only the people who are ready for my personality and for my way of doing, those are the ones who work with me. So just have to preface with that. Don't take anything that I'm saying as being in a place of medical advice. If that is your cup of tea, do you. So let's go ahead and get into it. The 12 things I wish I had known before having my first child. Number one, pregnancy isn't necessarily a free pass to be lazy and eat junk food. <laughs> I had to post, I had to, I had to share this one first. Um, it's going to piss somebody off. I already know you probably have already turned off this podcast at this point. Um, but it's true. It's true. Now, again, these, some of these things, like there are some very rare, rare, rare situations where medical intervention is needed. I mean, it's rare. Pregnancy is not a medical event. And we'll talk about that too. But it's very fucking rare. Okay. Um, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of lies surrounding pregnancy and birth. Okay. And I just want you to hopefully think outside the box and kind of go down that rabbit hole yourself. But pregnancy isn't, um, it's not a free pass to be lazy and eat junk food. It's not, you see it all over movies. You read about it. Like you, God forbid you be a pregnant woman in the gym. Okay. Most people are going to be looking at you like you're insane and you're about to break any moment. Um, and yeah, listen to your body, okay? If you feel like you just absolutely can't and you need to rest, then rest by all means. But let me tell you, do you know what happens from pregnancy? You have a baby. You know what that baby becomes? It becomes a child, okay? Do you know what children do? They run around and they act crazy and they need you to be around and running around after them at all times. If you plan on having more than one child, rest assured, like what I did there, rest assured, you're really not going to actually rest again, <laughs> So if you have a child and then you go on and have another child, it gets harder and harder to rest each time. I'm just saying. But that said, a lazy pregnancy is setting you up for disaster. It's setting you up for aches, pains, sickness, just overall feeling unwell, unnecessary weight gain. You know, you hear a lot of like, oh, you're pregnant. It's okay to be fat. It's okay to get fat. Um, to an extent, yes, you should gain X amount of weight. But just because you're sitting around and you're eating fast food and sweets and sodas and really nothing of nutritional value, not even walking, yoga, stretching, anything, it's really doing you and your baby a disservice. That is a fact. That's not just an opinion. Granted, if you cannot find it in yourself to move around because you just feel so sick, we'll talk about that sickness and stuff later. But I'm telling you, many women I've seen be completely healthy, completely normal, completely active. They get pregnant and they immediately are like, nope, I'm not doing anything because I'm pregnant and I don't have to. 
I just find that to be a very, very, very unhealthy mindset. And as somebody who has been pregnant full term for, well, it's not full term now, I'm only 34 weeks, but in two weeks I could give birth safely. Okay. Um, somebody who has experienced being pregnant five times to this extent and has not really had super healthy pregnancies as in like, I use that as an excuse myself. So I'm not just speaking like I've been this super athlete and super nutritious person for my four past pregnancies. No, I'm speaking from somebody who lived this. Okay. I can tell you right now, my first pregnancy was super smooth because I was 19 years old, 18, 19 years old, right? When you're young, your body bounces back and it does magical, amazing things. Although I did eat a lot cleaner because of where I was living and I walked about two miles every single day. I mean, there was probably 10 to 15 days total that I did not walk. And I did that up till the end. Um, I was walking in the mountains. That's where I lived. And it was amazing. So I did have that going for me. But you know what I mean? I wasn't super like conscious as to what I was doing or eating or anything like that. My other three pregnancies, I would say my third child, I was more active because I had another child that, you know, it was summertime and we had to be active. We swam a lot. Um, And I was eating pretty cleaner because that was just the journey I was on at that time, learning about how bad certain foods are. But my fourth child, that was my last child. Okay. This is after now I've had two kids. Now I know the things. Um, I was pretty freaking lazy and I was pretty eating all the crap because I'm like, I'm pregnant. I can do what I want. Okay. That was one of my hardest pregnancies, my hardest labor. And I do, I regret that. I regret what I didn't do. So this time I have been in the gym since before I even got pregnant. It's been almost a year of consistency. Pretty aware of the foods I'm eating. I'm not saying you should count macros or anything, but that's to the extent that I've gotten. I track my blood sugar, all that good stuff. Still have not seen an OB. Go to a chiropractor like religiously. Good on my hydration intake. Lots of electrolytes. All that good stuff. Okay. Notice I've not mentioned a prenatal. We're going to get to that too. But yeah, if you get pregnant, the first thing you need to be doing is figuring out how you're going to nurture and nourish your body to the best of your ability. And I will also say, you hear this too, if you've not been working out, it's not a good time to start a workout routine when you're pregnant. I call bullshit on that as well, okay? You got to find what works for you. Don't just immediately, you never, you haven't worked out ever or in years and you're going to go straight to CrossFit in pregnancy. Don't recommend that. But you can start walking, okay? Everybody has to walk. We have legs. We're human beings. I know it's so crazy. It's a bizarre thought. You see people walking outside the street and you automatically think they're homeless or something's wrong. But no, that's literally what we were designed to do. So at the very least, start with 10 minutes a day. Just make it a commitment to go walk. You can go walk around a mall. You can go walk around your neighborhood. You can go to a track. You can go to a gym indoors, like whatever, go on a treadmill. But move your legs, move your body, get your heart rate going, feel good, okay? So I'm going to get off that topic, but don't fall for the bullshit that you're supposed to just be laying at all times. I promise you it's going to make for such a harder pregnancy and a harder delivery, okay? Number two is expect to be pregnant for at least 42 weeks. What? You hear that and you're like, what the fuck? I thought it was 40 weeks. No, girl. At least 42 weeks. Why is that? Because due dates are not accurate. They are notoriously inaccurate. I think 5% of women are actually 
uh, they actually go into labor on their due date or give birth on their due date. Like it's very, very rare. It's just a um, basic estimate. And I'm not saying that's something that's like misinformation. You know, it's just like that's the studies that they've done on women over the t- over a period of time. And that's the average. Okay, 40 weeks is the average. But it's totally normal for somebody to go to 42 weeks. I've known women who go to 43 and 44 weeks. I would not wish that on my worst enemy. Okay, that's 11 weeks of hormonal shit. I mean, not 11 weeks, 11 months. That's a long time. Okay. Oh, that's a lot. So expect to be pregnant for at least 42 weeks. This will help you mentally as you get to the end to not be so impatient. You're still probably going to be impatient. I'm still impatient. I'm very, I don't even know if it's in, impatient more than like, um, what's the word? Like anticipating, you know, anxious. Like I don't feel anxiety, but I'm just, I'm excited to meet my, my child. Right. Um, but if you can tell yourself that pregnancy is at least 42 weeks, then you'll probably be pleasantly surprised when you actually do give birth at 40 weeks or 39 weeks or hell, even 41 weeks, you know, but just this whole 40 week thing, it's really dangerous because it again, puts that clock on your body and it tells you something must be wrong if you don't have your baby at 40 weeks. Right. And then you've got your doctor. Cause you know, most of you probably are going to see an OB if you're listening to this and you don't know a lot of these things, you're probably seeing a, an OB and they're going to tell you like, well, if you, if you don't have this baby by the time duh, 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 we're going to have to schedule an induction or C-section, right? And that's just really dangerous. And we'll talk about why those are dangerous. But yes, expect to be pregnant for at least 42 weeks. Number three, pregnancy is usually not a medical event. I did say usually for you Karens in the back who want to be like, but. I had X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 right? There are, there are rare occurrences when medical intervention is needed to save your life and or your child's life, okay? It's very fucking rare. And not every medical occurrence that you're told is life-saving is a life-saving occurrence. A lot of times it's an intervention that's unnecessary, unnecessary intervention. But that's not... This isn't what that podcast is about. I think I've done a video over unnecessary interventions and like different things that your OB will tell you are wrong when really they're just like variations of normal. So that's not for me to tell you right now. You can figure that out on your own or you can ask me and maybe I'll do a podcast over that. But pregnancy is usually not a medical event. Okay. If we look back at indigenous and tribal women and women of the beginning of time, they were doing that shit. Like it was nothing. Okay. It's just a part of life. It's a part of who we are as humans, as animals. Like, it's just what we're doing. Number four, morning sickness can be an indicator of nutrient deficiencies. This one is usually, like, a a hot topic for people. Um, I have seen some, like, holistic doulas trying to talk about this in mom groups, which, by the way, this should be, like, number 15 on the, the 12 things I wish I had known for having my first child. Be wary of mom groups. Those places are toxic as fuck. Those women are toxic as fuck. They're fucking scary. Like, especially if you're a holistic mom. Or if you're even a little crunchy. We'll call it scrunchy, right? But I've seen doulas try to talk about morning sickness. Indicating nutrient deficiencies. And they literally, basically get like hung on the cross 
for their opinion. It's really bad um, because a lot of women have morning sickness. You know, I've had it. It's rough, but there are certain nutrients, minerals that you can take, um, your liver, things like that, that could be going on. Also, it's, it's just a major influx of hormones too. And it's harder for your body to handle it at times. So I'm saying it can be, I'm not saying it always is. Um, and I don't believe in like definitive explanations for every single thing or broad statements for every single thing. This is one of those, but something to look into if you find yourself pregnant and really, really sick. Um, there are different things that you could try, different nutrients, different minerals that you can try and they might help you. Number five, prenatals are a scam. That's right. You heard it here. Prenatals are a scam. Um, just like most supplements, I don't really push supplements very much. It's pretty rare. I look at vitamins and supplements just about up there with pharmaceuticals. Like there's a time and place for pharmaceuticals, which for pharmaceuticals, it's like life and death. For supplements, it's more like it's to supplement. Like look at the word itself. It's to supplement. It's not to take the place of your everyday nutrition. It's not like, you know, I'm just going to eat like shit, but I'll take a prenatal and I'll be fine. No, 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 no. You should be taking these in conjunction with a well-balanced, nutritious diet, right? But really, if you're eating well enough, um, you shouldn't take them at all. Um, a lot of these prenatals are synthetic. I don't care what the label tells you. A lot of them are synthetic. They're made, um, they're man-made. They, for instance, great example is folate or folic acid, I guess you should say. When you look at a prenatal bottle, look at the ingredients. If it says folic acid, that will tell you that the form of folate, I guess you could, you could say, is a synthetic version of the actual methyl folate, right? Um, and if you care about that stuff, then right there you need to know to look for prenatals that have methyl folate as opposed to folic acid, right? Um, they're a scam. They really are. I haven't taken prenatals in two pregnancies now my iron, my baby's iron, all of our levels. Good. We're good. That's personal choice. Do your due diligence, research what you're going to be taking. Liquid is always best over any other form of vitamin because it absorbs better, yada, yada, yada. Number six, dilation tells you nothing about when your baby will come. Okay. This goes back to my third birth, my third pregnancy story of him wanting to check my cervix at 34 weeks. Um, yeah, I probably was dilated at that point in time. I'm 34 weeks today. I'm probably dilated right now. Um, I need to stop saying, um, the thing is you can be sitting at a three for weeks. Okay. You could be a three when you go into labor and a matter of minutes get to a nine. Dilation will tell you nothing. You could sit at a six, seven for weeks even. I mean, you could be pretty dilated and nothing be happening in regards to your baby emerging from your birth canal, right? So I see a lot of first-time moms and just ignorant moms who are so excited to be checked and they're like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm at a five, da, da, da. And they literally think that that means something. I was the same way in my first two pregnancies. I was the exact same way. It tells you nothing. The only thing it tells you is that your body is working and doing what it's supposed to be doing. That's it. I've said it once, I'll say it again, and I'm not the first person to say this. Your cervix is not a crystal ball. 
It is not. And in fact, number seven, cervical checks are risky. They're risky. Let's talk about why they're risky real quick. Number one, they're risky because they give the false um, hope, I guess, that you're going to be giving birth soon, right? And many times it doesn't go that way. And then now you have a mom who's really disappointed because she thought she was going to give birth in X amount of days because she was dilated to an X amount and now it didn't happen. And now she's crying and freaking out and depressed because this didn't happen, right? That emotional stress causes so much more issues than anything. And then the next thing is the risk of infection. When you allow somebody with a gloved hand or not, insert their, their hand into your body. If you really want a cervical check, learn to check your own cervix. I recommend doing it even before you're pregnant. Get to know your body so that when you're pregnant, you already know what to look for. You know how far you need to go up to feel it. All that. It's totally easy to do your own cervical check. I don't even check my own cervix because I can't freaking reach it. My hands are tiny and then my cervix is way up there. Like anytime I've had cervical checks, they got to like basically fist me <laughs> to get to feel my cervix. So while I wish that I could, like, especially in labor, so I kind of know where I'm at, I know that my body is progressing. Um, I just, I can't, I can't do it. But if you can, the best time to start learning and practicing is, you know, just in everyday life before you're even pregnant. So two main risks of cervical checks. There are more, but those are the main two I want to cover. Number eight, ultrasounds. This is another hot topic. Women love ultrasounds in pregnancy. They're great. They're cute. It's awesome to see your baby, whatever. But they carry more risk than benefits. And it's the same with Dopplers. Let's talk about that too. So there's a quote by somebody, but basically she was like, I don't know who it was. I don't know who said it. I would tell her, I would tell you her name, but she said, if we were meant to see our babies, we would have windows on our, on our bellies, right? Essentially is what she said. And it's true. And yes, I've gotten ultrasounds. I've even gotten ultrasounds this pregnancy. And why? Because it's my damn choice. It's called informed choice, right? I know the risks. I know the benefit. And I'm going to say one benefit because there's really like one, there could be two, depending on how you look at it, but we'll get them to that. Um, for me, having had losses and some issues, it was peace of mind. So that's one benefit for sure is you get that peace of mind. And if you're a control freak like me, it kind of will help you calm down because being anxious is just not a good thing to have while, while being pregnant. So um, the risks with ultrasounds, number one, it being a sonar, it being a, a device that was originally created for submarine usage in World War II. Think about what sonar is, right? It sends out a sound, it pings off an object, and it sends back data to, to the source, right? Um, so you're, you're basically hitting your child with this frequency that your child at that age, at that size, like think, okay, let's, let's talk about babies, like born babies, toddlers. I don't know if you're spiritual or you're intuitive or you, you know, think a little differently, but you see children, right? You know how like children will see like spiritual beings or they just know things or you'll have a child tell you about their past life, things like that, right? They're really in tune. They're really tapped in to other realms and other dimensions. And then as you grow older, I guess because of societal standards and I would go so far even to say the nutrition and things that we're eating, their, their sight, if you will, their vision of these things becomes blurred or even it just, it just isn't there anymore, you know? 
So I would say, this is my theory, that when you have toddlers and babies that are that aware, how aware are these beings that are living inside you? Like they're so fresh, they're so pure, they're so, they're in a spiritual state at that point. Like they feel that energy. Energy is real. And that's exactly what it is when you're hanging frequencies off your baby. And you ever notice if you've been pregnant and had ultrasounds or if you've ever heard of this, maybe your friend or somebody has told you like, oh my gosh, she just kept like squirming away. Like you wouldn't cooperate for the ultrasound. Like could that be your baby trying to run away from that frequency? And I know, roll your eyes. It's crazy, right? But there... When ultrasound was first introduced in pregnancies, I think it was like the 80s, the late 80s or 90s. Don't remember my dates, but they only wanted to use it in terms of, quote unquote, high risk pregnancies. And what high risk pregnancies were back then were, um, I have severe acid reflux right now, you guys. What um, high risk pregnancies were determined were like, uh, what do they call it? Geriatric pregnancies. So pregnancies over the age of like 42, um, pregnancies that had, you know, they had prior losses before issues before things like that. It was not common practice to give every single person an ultrasound back then. And then I guess when they started to see how much money was in it, they started just offering to everyone. And now you can walk into any ultrasound place without any, anything, which I believe you should get any type of treatment you want without somebody telling you you can, but they will give an ultrasound to just about anyone. Okay. So it's, it's just giving out like candy. And here's the thing. You've got somebody operating this machine who probably has no idea the mechanics and science behind the machine. Like they know how to read the ultrasound. They know the anatomy of your body and the baby's body, but they don't understand the actual technology behind the machine. So just think about that. Okay. Anyways, that's the technical risks of ultrasound. But let's talk about, okay, here's a benefit, right? You get an ultrasound and they tell you that, oh, I don't know, your baby has a cleft lip and palate, right? So the benefit for that is that now you're able to prepare and you have 20 weeks to mentally get ready for it. Um, now you know, right? But what about the downside of that? What about when you find out that your baby has an issue that... They're not going to be able to live through labor. Like they're not going to make it. That they're not, um, even when they are born and they're born alive, they're only going to have so long to live, right? Or maybe they have no head or maybe they have two heads or maybe, you know what I'm saying? Maybe they have no face, no brain. And I'm not trying to be insensitive. These are all parts of reproduction in any species, right? Now you know these things. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to terminate your pregnancy? Well, we live in a world today where, you know, most states are really working to ban and outlaw. I live in a state that has made it illegal to abort a pregnancy, no matter the reasoning why. But let's say that that wasn't a thing. Let's say you could abort your pregnancy. Would you do that? Like, let's be real. If you found out that your beloved baby that you tried so hard to get pregnant with had a life threatening issue that they were not going to survive from, would you be able to terminate it or would you decide that you want to birth it and love it regardless? And there's no right answer here. Would you have rather not known and still continued your pregnancy out in bliss, blissful ignorance, I guess you could say? 
or you now know, and now you, 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 every day is a nightmare basically, because you know that this beautiful feeling that you're feeling inside yourself is going to come to an end with no happy outcome. So to me, that's a major risk. I personally would just rather not know. I'd rather not know. Even knowing what I know, you know, cleft lip and palate is nothing compared to trisomy or any other um, life altering situation where your baby, their survival rate is like less than 1%, right? Um, I'm not comparing those two things. However, to this day, you know, I had my two ultrasounds, one to confirm pregnancy and one later to see that growth looked how I wanted it to look. These weren't diagnostic exams, mind you. These were just a little boutique type place because I don't have an OB. And so there's no way I would know if there was something seriously wrong with my child. And the thing is, most things that are wrong with your child, say they have like, the, your doctor will say that they have an enlarged heart or enlarged kidney or um, something wrong. They can't fix it right then and there, first of all. They're going to make you wait till the baby is born. And do you know how often it is that they misdiagnose these things or how often these things correct themselves in utero? So those, those are all factors to consider when talking about the risks and benefits of ultrasound. That stress that you carry, that guilt, that shame, that whatever feelings that you feel when you find these things out are so detrimental. And if you followed me for any period of time, I talk about that with nutrition as well. You know, a lot of people who um, eat bad foods, quote unquote, bad foods, and then they just feel so guilty. And I'm like, dude, the guilt that you're feeling from eating that food is so much worse than eating the food. Eat the damn food, enjoy it, and move the fuck on. Make a better choice next time. Obviously, they're not the same thing, but guilt, emotions negative emotions impact you so so deeply that you, you cannot understand and that's why I say like I would just rather not know and deal with it later um and that's when also understanding that death is a major part of life right so a lot of times women going into birth their biggest fear is them dying or their baby dying in birth right which is pretty rare in physiological undisturbed births. Death is a very, very rare occurrence. And a lot of times, I mean, women have died in hospitals giving birth. Babies have died in hospitals during birth. Um, and a lot of times it's because of unnecessary interventions. More times than not, undisturbed physiological births have far better outcomes than the ones that are in hospitals. And the moment you get an IV stuck in your hand, you're already having an intervention happening to you. The moment you have somebody checking your cervix and telling you how far along you are and how long you have left to go, you're being intervened. You understand? So it's kind of a heavy topic right there. Dopplers are no different. Dopplers are actually probably even more, um, more dangerous. But the thing is, you have to kind of choose what outweighs what for you. So I know a lot of women who are really, 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 really crunchy. Um, and when I say crunchy, I mean like really natural, you know? and they refuse. They don't do any Dopplers or anything. I have a Doppler. I use it occasionally. Now at my gestation, I use a fetoscope, which is basically a stethoscope designed for listening to pregnant bellies. Um, but I know some women who don't even do that. <laughs> and so, you know, there's variations, there's degrees. Do what you feel is best. If listening to your baby's heart with a Doppler gives you peace of mind and helps you to not stress, then do it. I just say limit your amount, limit how often you're doing it, how many times you do it, and how long you're doing it each session, okay? Um, same with ultrasounds, you know, you do you, but I definitely would not recommend getting one just to get one every single time you feel like getting one. Um, and there are, 
a lot of times I think in pregnancy with OBs, don't they give you like two or three ultrasounds? Like one in the beginning to confirm one at 20 ish weeks for an anatomy scan. And then I think you get one later in your pregnancy, right? So you can decline anything that should be on this list too. There's a lot of things that I'm thinking of now that I probably should put on this list, but you can decline anything. You don't have to accept any medical intervention. You are, they are working for you, not the other way around. So that's something that you should know. I know it can be really scary. Um, this is when doulas come in hand, um, support people who have your best interests at heart and who can back you in times of vulnerability that can remind you of your values and why you choose to do what you do, right? Number nine, back birthing goes against gravity. Back birthing. So that's when you're in the hospital or with a midwife or whatever. And notice I, I also put midwives with these hospital staff and that's the whole thing. Midwives today, most midwives, most licensed midwives are still very, very medicalized. They have a board to answer to, a board of doctors, and they're going to be doing the same bullshit that these doctors are doing. No, granted, not all midwives, but most of them. Okay. So this is when they make you lay down to give birth. Now, some women naturally feel better laying down to give birth. That's fine. With my third baby, who's four today, I laid on my side, on my left side and birthed her, but I wasn't laying on my back. Okay. I was on my side. That felt good for me. I wanted a water birth. I planned a whole water birth, had the pool and everything. When it came time to, to push my baby out, I wanted to lay on my left side. And also pushing. That's another thing. Um, you don't always have to push. You know, coach pushing. That's kind of part of the back labor, the back birthing thing. When somebody's telling you to push, that's not necessary in birth either. When you're giving birth, your body, I promise, will know. Your body will know. And a lot of these things, you really just have to get into your reading, your research, listening to other women. This is why women in community are so important, especially in these spaces, because you can learn a lot from, from your fellow women and mothers and grandmothers. Um, but when it comes time, your body knows what to do. And more times than not, your baby will come on its own. I've heard of women who they, they had been, you know, they were like, this baby should be coming out at this point. They'd been laboring for so long. And all they had to do was give like a little push and it reminded their body. And what it was is that when your baby is sitting at a certain level, certain station is what medical uh, people will call it. It sits on this nerve that basically numbs you. Okay. And then you don't feel the urge to push or bear down. But if you could just give yourself just a tiny little push, it moves them that much further to release pressure and hit another nerve that will then tell your body, okay, it's time to go. And your baby will do what it needs to do, or you will push if you feel like you need to. Some women feel the need to push. Some women don't. Well, most women, I say, don't feel the need to push. That's what the FER, that fur fetal ejection reflexes, your baby literally just comes out. There's too many stories, women even waking up and their baby having had come out, like they woke up and had given birth and their baby is alive and fine and all that, right? It's, our bodies are amazing. And the moment you can start looking at your body as the magical vessel that it is, the, I can't just, it's insane how intelligent our bodies and our babies are. Once you can surrender to that knowledge, you're going to have a lot more of an empowering and spiritual time 
with your pregnancy and your birth process. Number 10, breech presentation is a variation of normal and is not usually, usually a valid reason for C-section or even induction, induction. There are so many stories of women giving birth, not only at home, but without any assistance to breech babies. Totally fine. It's a variation of normal. And breach is actually a rare occurrence in the grand scheme of things, but it's common, if that makes sense. I don't even know if that can make sense. But when you look at the numbers, it's rare, but it's more common than you think, especially in the home birth space. And it happens all the time safely. And I, I, hear, I hear of OBs telling their patients that they have to have a C-section now because of it. And it's just absolutely not true. It's absolutely not true. So again, you hear a topic that hits a button with you, you go do some research on it, read up on it, and look at all sources. Hey girl, hey. If you like this podcast, would you do me a favor and hit the subscribe button? And also on all social medias, you can find me at Healing with Serenity. You can check out my website at serenityford.com. Use the search bar to search for any of my various products like Mermaid Magic. Um, and I also have a section for my books that I have written, ebooks to guide you in various health and wellness avenues. Thanks so much for listening. Stay mindful, stay well.